so lord we ask that you would help us to see to see you with us that nothing stands between you and where we are thank you lord for your grace in christ's name amen well i want to start this morning with a question and it comes kind of from the song we just heard what is your bottom line what is it that you have to believe about god in order to know that he is standing with you in the fire in order to be confident that he's with you in whatever struggle you face what is the irreducible minimum thing you've got to believe in order to hold on to hope and know that it's true well as we begin today a couple of things for you first of all um Take out a piece of paper or your phone and just take a note of the, the uh, phone number that's at the bottom of the screen right now. Uh, what I'd like you to do is just take note of that because if a question or a comment comes up during the sermon, go ahead and type or, or text that question or comment to that phone number. Uh, I will be on Facebook Live on Wednesday at 1210, and I would love to be able to interact with you uh, through that way. It's kind of like, you know, what happens after the service in the old days when the service was done, and then we would all gather in the back and we'd talk. We can't do that now, so this is a way to try to do that. So take a note of that, that phone number and, uh, and text your comment or your question. We'll talk about it on Wednesday. And while we're at it, for the, for the kids who are with us today, welcome. So good to see you guys. If I could, I'd love to. Uh, we're going to talk today about God as our fortress. Now, a fortress is like a really big castle. It's got really high walls, it's got a huge drawbridge, and it's got all kinds of cool weapons on the top of the, of the wall. It's a very safe place to be. When you are inside of God's fortress, inside of God's castle, no trouble, no difficulty, no harm can touch you. And so I thought that maybe if you wanted to, you could take some time to, to get a piece of paper and draw what God's castle looks like to you, the way that he protects you, and then even show where you are inside of that castle. That'd be really cool. And if you wanted to do that, and you wanted to have your folks send me a copy, either a photograph or a real hard copy of that, I'd love to see it, and just kind of see how, how you understand where God is in this and, and the strength that he offers you. So there's something fun for you to do um, well, in the next couple of minutes. And for everybody, let's go into a little thought experiment, a little word picture thing. Use your imagination with me. I want to paint two different pictures for you, okay? The first picture is Jesus and the disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a terrible storm. The storm is so bad that even the experienced fishermen in the bunch are afraid they're going to drown. I mean, just, just let it come to mind. Just hear the wind whistling. Feel the spray of the, of, the, of the water on your face. Watch as the waves come over the boat, into the boat, and the disciples are desperately trying to bail the water back out to the sea. Can you see it? And then, and then take a look around at the back of the boat, and there's Jesus sleeping on a cushion. Is he really not worried? Is he not concerned that they're going to drown? Second picture, Jesus is before Pilate. It's just before his crucifixion. He's already been flogged. He is weakened from the loss of blood, and he is just one step away from being crucified. And even in the midst of that horrendous horror, he remains calmly silent. And Pilate's amazed. 
Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? In other words, he's saying, don't you realize that right now I am your only hope? Jesus replies, you'd have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Wow. In both situations, the circumstances look big. I mean, experienced fishermen believed they were all going to drown. An experienced politician thought that he alone held the power of that moment. And in both cases, Jesus saw things from a different perspective, a perspective that allowed him to respond in a way no one expected. So I wonder, what was Jesus' bottom line? What truth about the Heavenly Father did he have to hold with great certainty for him to be able to respond to this world in the way that he did? You know, as I look around, I, I, it seems to me that our nation is also in the midst of a great storm. It seems like news media just casts wave after wave of frightening prediction and statistic into our boats. That politicians go into endless debate over whose plan has the right power to be able to bring salvation to our country. And then you bring it down to the, to the ground level and we start thinking about, my goodness, are kids going to go to school? Is it going to be online? Will I be able to go to work? What about economic downturn? What if I get sick? How dangerous is this, really? And so I wonder, what's your bottom line? What is it that you have to believe about God and his goodness for you to be able to have peace, a peace that impacts the way you live in this world? Because quite honestly, that's why God gives us peace, right? It's not just so that we feel good about where we are. God gives us peace so that we can take that peace and spread it out to others, that we might be a blessing to those around us. Psalm 62 is a fascinating psalm about how God's peace can be given to us and then we can use that peace to bring a benefit to the people around us. And so what I want to do is read the psalm for you. And as I do, I'd like you to open up your Bibles or turn on your screens or wherever it is you access God's Word here and just leave it open for a little bit because I'm going to be going back to it a couple of different times. Um, uh, you might find it helpful to go and reference the things I say. So I'm just going to go with Psalm 62. just going to start right off with verse 1. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take great delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O oh, my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Lowborn men are but a lie are but a breath, and the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to 
for what he has done. My soul finds rest in God alone. You know, when I read that first verse, uh, my thought immediately goes to, yeah, but how did he get there? You know, <laughs> there's got to be a time before verse 1 where his soul did not find rest in God alone, where his soul was seeking to find rest in other things, or his soul did not find rest at all. So how did he get to the point where he could speak verse 1? Well, I think verse 5 gives us a bit of a clue. He says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. I think one of the ways he was able to get to verse 1 was by talking to himself. But not in the same way that we often talk to ourselves. You know, this is a different kind of practice. Uh, Psalm 42 shows us this, this again very clearly. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? This kind of talking to yourself is an ancient spiritual practice that is both very simple and very profound. Uh, it was a late 4th century monk named Evagrius who used to teach that when you are confronted by a concern or a temptation, learn to divide yourself in two and then ask yourself questions or, ask your, or make statements to yourself. In other words, talk to yourself. Take one, one part of you and leave the circumstance you're in, leave the concern, leave the temptation, and then ask a question or make a statement to the, to, to the part of you that's still in the midst of that moment. My guess is that when the psalmist started feeling anxious and started feeling like he was under attack, started feeling in danger, he probably started talking to himself, reminding himself of who God is and what he had done. These affirmations helped him grow to the place where he could say, find rest. I find rest in God alone. Now, like all of us, how did he get there? He got there by steps. He got there by stages. It's just kind of a slow growth time. And I imagine sometimes it felt like it was really slow and incremental. Other times it felt like he was stagnant. And there would be other moments, I think, if his experience is like most of ours, there are moments of clarity and insight where it comes to you in a flash. And as I was thinking about how God has us as human beings in a fallen world growing into faith and, and deepening, deepening trust, my mind turned to someone I met back in my doctoral studies at Fuller years ago. His name was Tom Terrence. Now, Tom came to faith in Christ while he was in a maximum security prison serving 35 years for domestic terrorism and attempted escape. And while he was there, Jesus transformed his life in a remarkable way, and everybody around him saw it. And so over the years, the people that knew him best began advocating for Tom's early release. And there was one moment where everything was lining up. It was miraculous. Everybody was saying, yes, this is a good idea. Let's get Tom out back into the public again. Everything, he, even had, um, he was even accepted at three colleges uh, for him to come and begin his new life. Everything was in line. And then one person at the last moment shut it all down. And it put Tom into a bit of a spiritual crisis. Could God really be trusted? Did God really have the power to be able to change things? And what about all the growth that Tom had experienced in the years prior to that? Was that for nothing? It seemed like it was now all wasted. And as he struggled with the way God was dealing with him and the experiences he was having, God spoke to him. And let me give it to you in Tom's own words. Tom writes, God said to me, stop trying to get out. In other words, stop trying to get out of prison. You can't get out a day sooner than I want you to leave 
and they can't hold you a day longer than I want you to stay. This is not what I wanted to hear, but it was what I needed to hear. It stabilized me. My hope returned. I had to trust God and wait patiently for him to act in his own time. See, sometimes that, that deepened certainty comes to us in slow, incremental stages, and sometimes it comes in a flash, but no matter how it comes to us, it always comes with a choice. Will we believe what God says about himself? Somewhere along the way, the psalmist came to a point where he believed what God said about himself, and so then he was able to say, my soul finds rest in God alone. Now, the idea here of finding rest, the soul finding rest, is that the soul is no longer anxious. The soul is no longer agitated. The soul is quiet. The soul is at peace. The soul knows that you're in God's hands, that you can't stay in that prison any longer than anybody, that, that God would have you to stay. The soul knows that even though you're asleep in the back of the boat and the boat's in a great storm, the Father has you, and you're in his hands. Now, I won't go into a background here, but Psalm 62 may or may not have been written by King David. It says of David, but it could be all kinds of different potential folks out there. If it had been written by King David, then it's likely that David was facing an attempted coup by some aggressively deceitful schemers who wanted to pull him away from his throne. And as he was going through the experience, he said that he felt like he was a leaning wall or a tottering I love this word picture. I mean, let's just paint it out a little bit. I mean, think about a tottering fence. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about one of those fences you see often like on a beach side somewhere where it's thin slats of wood connected by really thin wire and the wood is ancient and it's rotting and the wire is rusty and the fence has been tipped over at more than a 45 degree angle and it's at a point where even a five-year-old child could step on it, up on it and knock it over. That's what the psalmist is feeling right now. When he looks at the people coming at him, he says, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to stand against these people. I am just a tottering fence, and I can't put my hope in myself. Imagine for yourself if there was an angry mob that was coming your way, and you had the choice between two different obstacles to place in their path. One of them is that tottering fence, this, this piece of rotting wood and rusting wire that's 45 degree angle and just kind of sitting there. That represents your own ability. But the other choice is God's ability. And it's represented by a huge fortress that is surrounded by a deep moat with a large drawbridge and 40 foot high walls that are eight feet thick and are lined with defensive weapons. Which would you feel better choosing? The psalmist said, God alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And I like that there's a possible other translation way to translate that verse too. I will never be severely shaken. I think there's something there for us because <laughs> there are times Jesus was getting wet in the back of that boat, you know? Uh, sometimes the struggles we have do splash down upon us but we're not severely shaken. Psalm 62 is poetry. And so it's not just about uh, an attempted coup against the king's throne. Whether you believe it or not, all of us occupy a lofty place in this world. We're made in God's image. Hello, that's amazing. 
And all of us have deceitful schemers who are trying to knock us off our high place. For some, those deceitful schemers are actual people who are trying to undermine your life, your work, your ministry. For others, the enemy may simply be the fear that is always surrounding this pandemic. And for everyone who calls Christ Lord, everyone who's been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, those deceitful schemers are evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that seek to destroy all the work that God wants to do in you and through you. So what is it that you need to hear from God today? What promises do you need to remember? What do you need to be reminded of as far as his desire for you or the way that he has provided for you? Might it be time for you to uh, divide yourself in two, step outside of that moment so that you can speak back to yourself a statement of truth or a, a question that gets you thinking? Let's give that a try for 30 seconds, just 30 seconds, okay? Uh, I'd like to take 30 seconds and, and have us practice talking to ourselves in this particular way. Um, let's do this. For the first 15 seconds, just try to identify what it is that's shaking your peace, that's keeping you from being still before the Lord. It could be most anything. Just, if you take 15 seconds, just see the very first thing that pops up that's, that's your biggest concern. It's keeping you from sleeping in the back of the boat, so to speak. We'll take 15 seconds to do that. And then we'll take the next 15 seconds for you to speak back to yourself what you need to be reminded of. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. That phrase will be on the screen. You, you don't have to remember it. If God gives you a different phrase to speak to yourself, please feel free to do that. But just say it silently uh, with, with your lips, okay? So first thing, what is it that's... Uh, disrupting your peace, and secondly, what is it that you need to say to yourself? Let's just take 15 seconds, do that, and then finish up with a 30. Here we go. What is it that disturbs your peace? And what is it that your soul needs to hear right now? words of Psalm 131 come to mind for me. My heart is not proud, O God, nor are my eyes haughty. I do not involve myself in great matters or in things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child, like a weaned child with its mother is my soul within me. And here's the part I love. O Rob, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. You see, the, the words we speak to, to ourselves and the words we speak to one another are so vitally important that they have to be accurate and they have to be true. And that's what the psalmist was doing. He was speaking words to himself so that he would be empowered and able to speak words of encouragement to others. In verses 1 through 7, that's what he does. He begins by making self-declarations and the self-exhortation. And then he shifts in verse 8. To others, And he says, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Trust in him at all times. 
even when the water is rushing into the boat, even when it appears as though only people have the power to make the differences, only when, even when it seems like there is way too much weight upon your shoulders, trust in him at all times. And then notice what happens right after that. There's the command to trust, and it's followed by an action. And pour out your hearts to him. See, finding rest in God alone does not mean that we show no concern or feel no emotion or sit on our hands and take no action. I, when I think about trusting in God, I go, my mind goes to King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah was one of the, uh, the best righteous kings that Judah ever had. In fact, the Bible speaks of King Hezekiah. It said, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. So this guy was the head of the class. I think if we look at his example of what it means to trust God, I think we'll learn something. There's something there for us. And there was this time in his life when Sennacherib was coming to take over Jerusalem, and it was very clear that he was going to bring his army to capture the city. And so Hezekiah began to trust God with that particular issue. And here's what he did in his trusting of God. He consulted with military advisors, secured a water supply for the city, destroyed the water supply for any invading army, repaired the wall, built a secondary wall, built towers, stockpiled weapons. He then organized a command and control structure inside the city, gathered the people together to delegate perspective and to encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord. Clearly, trusting God involved a lot of activity. But the focus is not on what Hezekiah did. The focus is on who he trusted in the midst of those things. And then when Sennacherib arrived with his vast army, where could you find Hezekiah doing the thing he was doing every day? He was always praying before the Lord. And on that particular day, we read how he was in the temple pouring out his heart to God. It's kind of like Hannah in 1 Samuel going to the tabernacle in Shiloh, pouring out her heart to God. See, the, 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 the statement of pouring out your heart is an invitation to freely express to God everything that you're feeling at the time, all the distresses and all the stresses and all the suffering that you're feeling, to go ahead and share it with him. See, trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. He's not just a safe place to dwell. He's a safe person to talk to. You can trust him with your deepest concerns. So the next section in verses 9 and 10, compare God to the other things we often look to for our strength and our hope and our help, and that is people and wealth, right? He says those who are born in poverty and those who are born in nobility, really, they're but a breath. They don't have any weight. And when you think about your wealth, it too is not something worthy of carrying the weight of your hope. Yes, human power and worldly wealth appear to have substance and appear to be strong and lasting and worthy of our trust, but that's a deceitful lie. Don't believe it. And then we come to the conclusion of the psalm, and it's the psalmist's answer to our opening question. What is your bottom line? What is the irreducible minimum that you have to believe in order to hold on to hope? And he gives us his answer in verses 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. And, and that in the Hebrew, it's emphatic. He, he's highlighted, bold-faced, and put exclamation points after the fact that God is loving. 
He's strong. He's sovereign. No one can thwart his plan. He's loving. <laughs> He's good. And no one can separate you from that love. That's what the Apostle Paul says, right? Not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic or economic downturn. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is given to us in Jesus Christ. Now, many of you have already picked up there's something implied in everything that I've said, and it comes out very clearly in that last little list. But suffering is a part of all this. In every story that I've shared, whether it is Jesus, who, by the way, the book of Hebrews says when Jesus prayed, he cried out with loud cries and tears to the Father who could save him. Whether it was Jesus or Tom Terrence or Hezekiah or Hannah or anyone who desires to find their rest and their hope in God alone, no matter who it is, they learn that suffering is a necessary part of the journey to a deepened trust in God. Suffering brings us down to our base element, strips us of all pretense, removes all false hope. It reminds us who we are. It shows us the fact that we are tottering fences and the things we hope in really don't have any hope. And it leads us to weeping. And it's then, and it's only then, when our eyes have been washed by tears of suffering that we are in a position to begin to see clearly the love that God has for us in Christ and begin to experience more fully the hope that he gives us in the gospel. So go ahead, my friends. No matter what your circumstance may be today, no matter what the depth of your suffering, go ahead and pour out your heart to him. He's a safe place. He is a safe person. And as you pour out the heart, remember to speak words that are accurate and true back to yourself again so that you can hold on to the hope that he's given you. And you can be positioned to pass that hope on to others. Would you please pray with me? So Lord Jesus, what would happen if we took you at your word and believed what you said about yourself? And what would happen if we took the peace you offer and intentionally passed it on to others, encouraging them to find the hope that cannot be shaken? What would happen in our lives? What might happen in our families? What might happen in our world? Holy Spirit, whether by incremental stages or sudden flashes of insight, would you please help this psalm become part of our lives that we might receive the gift of your grace and find our full rest in you alone this day and always in Christ's name.